change your mind. Take a chance. I'm the first in line. I'm the unsteal free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. If you got your place to go, when you're feeling down. If you're all
This podcast is number 174, and it's entitled Federal Theology in the Letters of Samuel Rutherford. Now, my oldest friend is named Lloyd Fonville, and he was um, not all that long ago talking to his very good friend, J.B. White, someone whom I also admire very much. And he was saying something um, just in the course of conversation. This was back, I think, in the 70s, something derogatory about Abba, something normally that you would say at that age, you know, and I would have said it, said it until recently, thought it, uh, you know, give me a break, you know, Abba, are you out of your mind? I mean, we, I'm talking about the band here, you know, not not Abba. And uh, J.B. White, however, according to Lloyd, turned at him, looking at Lloyd as if Lloyd were an idiot, this is a direct quote, and said to Lloyd, well, you must not be listening to the songs. Well, what a thing to say. What a helpful thing to say. You're just not listening to the songs. Well, I would uh, want to say to you that if we could put in a retreat center tonight all the um, all those who are concerned about the seemingly irreversible decline, at least in terms of numbers and membership of mainstream Protestantism in the United States, if we could take all these persons, and there would be many, of all sorts and shapes and sizes. And if you could take us all and put us in a large meditation hall somewhere, a very large meditation hall somewhere, and spent 72 hours with the songs of Abba, not only would light begin to dawn, but the possibility of an arrest, that is an arrest of the decline, might actually become um, real. Because the songs of Abba are almost without exception songs of reality about real things between me and you and her and me and him and they're they're entirely untypological or uncategorical they entirely are about emotional relationships between individuals men and women people between individuals that's the key thing and you see it in all their videos that they did they were very early um they were they were very smart at using uh, uh, the video technique for their singles, and it's extremely well done, as you know from last uh, uh, week's episode, um, One of Us. And uh, the power of their songs is that they're talking about real things. They're talking about real people, and they're talking about you and me, and they're talking about the issues that people bring to them when they come, for example, to church, or just when they get up in the morning and uh, look at their email. And these are the issues which... Um, Churches, for the most part, which are, in fact, philosophically and deeply and pastorally equipped to deal with and to help people with, are not dealing with them. I get a newsletter all the time from um, email newsletter weekly from an organization of which I'm a part. And uh, every week, um, it's a religious organization in mainstream Protestantism, and it's absolutely crisis du jour as far as whatever's going on in the world. I mean, one week, it's um, the, the the people that run this institution are talking about Newtown. The next week, they're talking about immigration and the DREAM Act. The next week, they're uh, talking about Gaza. The next week, they're talking about northeastern Iraq. The next week, they're talking about Ferguson. The next week, all of which are interesting, all of which are important, all of which, in fact, can be very important. 
But what's so striking is it La Plus a Change. It's a, it's a parade of snapshots of whatever is currently uh, absorbing people's attention in the world. And uh, although we might call that praxis, you know, to use sort of um, liberation theology, we might say that's a proper emphasis on how religion relates to real issues that are going on in the world. But it's entirely ethical and horizontal, and there's absolutely no element in almost any of it. It seems to be implied quite a lot, which is good, but it's never actually stated. Where am I coming from in order to understand Ferguson? How can I understand myself in order to understand ISIS? How can I see myself in relationship to drones? Where do I stand in relationship to marriage of different kinds? Where am I really about abortion? Where does it – what am I talking about? What, what about gun control? What do I really – where is violence in my unconscious? Who am I as a male? Who am I as a female? Who am I as a, any number of possible spectroscopic – um, points along a curve. What am I? Who am I? Am I rooted? Can I actually comment? Can I actually act? Can I actually protest? Can I actually march? Can I actually say something legitimate to a larger, shall we call it a sociological issue, when I barely know who the hell I am as a Paul Zoll? You know, where am I? Who am I? I was talking to somebody recently, and I said, you know, she's a lovely person, someone I know, but, you know, she is totally lost. And I didn't mean that in some kind of Dante's Inferno or Purgatorio sense. I mean, I said to Mary, I said, she, it's a pity because she doesn't know where she's come from. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know who she is, and she has no idea of where she's going. And that's what the church, I mean, this lovely but lost human being needs a little bit of help with those questions. And all she gets is praxis and uh, various positions on various issues, which are predictable and at the same time changing, because that's the real word. I don't care if they're predictable, because if they're good, they, I don't, that's fine to be predictable. But if they're changing all the time. So um, if you're concerned about that kind of arrested development in relationship to issues that uh, mainstream Protestantism, if you could care, and I do care actually a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, um, then you might uh, really do well to spend time as I am and have, in fact. I, I, you know, I dusted out my old original ABBA vinyl. I think I gave it to David Zoll not so long ago, but I had it, and I bought it immediately, and I bought it in, in England, or at least right after we got back from England in 1975, or maybe it was the summer of 74, because I fell in love with Waterloo. I think it was their first uh, album of maybe uh, their first album of sort of hits, but it was unbelievable. But what is it? What is it that I learned? Well, I learned, if you look at ABBA, I learned about real people. I learned about people who fall in love. I learn about in her, uh, the songs, I learn about um, um, uh, w w w what it's like to have a lot of ideas about my life and then suddenly to fall in love with someone. And then all my ideas go out the window. And I'm suddenly 100%, 180%, 360 degrees focused on this one person and, quote, I am into him or into her. And everything else becomes ephemeral and passing and futile and unimportant and almost a joke because I see now that the things I thought were so important mean nothing to me. I'll move a million miles. Uh, once when I was in college, I don't think I'd even gotten to college, I drove 1,800 miles over the – but must have been not more than two days or it was something, some huge number of miles for a kid back in the 60s. I drove in a not very serviceable car <clears throat> like halfway across the country to pursue a particular dream I had relating to an individual uh, of romance. And, I mean, it just didn't, didn't, it didn't occur to me at all that it wasn't the obvious thing to do. I mean, nothing – my parents, my college admission – 
my whatever CV I thought I might have, my interest in a variety of different books, movies, and records, uh, my old friends, my male friends, not my prep school buddies. None of it meant a thing in comparison with the quantum leap into the world of of trying to connect with this romantic object. Well, I mean, think about that for just a second. That Enter the world of Abba, people. Uh, behold, Zia. Uh, behold the world of Abba, because Abba understands that people um, are really about connection and wanting love and finding love and holding on to love and not being lonely and sometimes being incredibly disappointed and yet still wanting to go back. Um, I'd rather live in his world than live without him in mine. Gladys Knight and the Pips. And we saw that last time and we saw it. And so Abba tells us about what's really important. And if we're at all to learn from the past, we ought to just, when they say that, and this is simply a fact, that over 370 million records have been sold, at that point, you just want to, we just need to stop and say, okay, stop everything. Stop the conversation right off the bat. What's going on here? And so then you go back to Waterloo, which is such a powerful statement about the desire to surrender in the face of the desire to be one with someone you love. Um, hey, hey, Helen, yes, I left him. I made a statement of independence, and now I've got my kids, and I don't have him, and I'm free to do what I want to do, but um, I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable. Or yes, one of us, I divorced him. He, you know, he used me emotionally, and I, I'm better off without him. But, you know, deep down, late at night, I stare up at the ceiling. This is a paraphrase of one of us, and I say, oh, my gosh, I'd rather be with him notwithstanding everything. What is that song that Lloyd Fonville has also put before us on his blog, Um, uh, uh, Something is better than nada, or a little is better than nada by the Texas Tornadoes, Doug Sam, that group, a little is better than nada. You know, um, that that has many possible um, uh, concrete uh, meanings. But my golly, is that not true? And so Abba comes again and again. Now here in the song today, and this is quite brief, this uh, podcast, which is entitled, because I just wanted to call it that. But it, interestingly, somebody said, well, are you trolling by uh, titling Podcast 174, The Federal Theology and the Letters of Samuel Rutherford? Well, actually not, because if you know me, you'll know that I, um, whether it's good or not, I know about that stuff, in quotation marks. I, I Before I put all my books in storage, I, I had the letters of Samuel Rutherford, and I loved Samuel Rutherford, and Ayrshire, or wherever he was from, and the Duke of Roxburghshire, and all the things, and the... Song of Songs, I know all about that. I Whether I, I know a lot about it, I certainly spent a lot of time excavating the letters of Samuel Rutherford and the world from which he came. And I once wrote an article for the Suwannee Theological Review entitled Lex Rex, which I believe was a book or a lengthy theological uh, diatribe which Rutherford wrote, which I think was, um, was burned publicly uh, under the... Um, Parliament of Charles II. So we're not talking about something that doesn't exist. It's not trolling, but I want to talk today about what Abba teaches about faith. Now, with all that long preliminary, take a chance on me, take a take a take a chick chance on me, chick chick chick. 
take a ch- take a chance on me. Well, Google the lyrics. I'm not going to belabor a kind of um, exposition of the lyrics of the song, but it's an absolutely brilliant song. And the video that they made of it with the four of them is uh, concerning alienation and continued alienation on the part of the two guys and uh, um, real appeal on the part of Ani and Ani Frida. And yet, uh, whatever it is, I, I still haven't gotten that right, but be that as it may, you know whom I'm talking about. And the video of male alienation and female um, sort of, come on, guys, get real. I'm here. What are you talking about? How can you tuck your thumb and stick your thumb in the mouth? How can you sit on the other side of our double bed fuming about something that has nothing to do with anything? And I'm here. You know, I'm, am I not desirable? I mean, this song is so great in the video. And the song, the video of, of well, almost all of their early videos are fantastic. One of us being, I think, at the Titanic top. But um, w- w- what is faith? Well, um, faith is illustrated by Abba. I used to think that faith um, was uh, a theological um, construct relating to my status before God, which I still believe, uh, but I believe it um, cerebrally, not necessarily can I explain it pastorally or personally. I used to believe that faith was a position, a position the old cliche was that you can have a lot of faith, quote unquote, in thin ice, and you can have, uh, and you'll still fall through, but you can have very little faith in thick ice and you'll always stand, and uh, you'll you'll be able to make it across the river, and the, the uh, meaning of that uh, simile was that faith is not about sort of a, 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 a willed act of believing something that may or may not be visible. Faith is entirely dependent on the object. So if you have a little bit of confidence in an object that's solid, in this case it would be the, let's call it the atonement of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, that's enough. So even if you're flaky and and, uh, halting and um, constantly changing in a world that's constantly changing, how can I be sure, I be sure of you, you know, the young rascals, is is it that or is it, it, and if it's just a matter of a, of a decision, if it's thin ice, then it'll you'll fall through. Well, I know that that's true at one level. I feel it's true. I've certainly uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, but I'm not sure it's true preached. I'm not sure it's true preached because what actually faith is? Faith is a gamble. Faith is a a, a complete. A, it, it's a de- it, it, decision is the wrong word. See, I'll, I'll get into trouble here. Faith is a point. It's a point at which you say, "I'm just going to do this." I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, I really believe in what I'm looking at across. I'm, I believe in what I'm seeing here, and I'm just, I, I don't know of anything better than that. And I'm just gonna, gonna, gonna do a, do a belly flop if necessary. I'm gonna do a spread eagle dive across that pool, believing that, 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 that what I'm getting, I just have a gut feeling that it's real, and I'm gonna give everything I have. Now, people will say, oh, that's Kierkegaardian, or that's, you know, it's way too dependent on subjectivity. But you know, in fact, I think I was wrong to underestimate, or at least to not uh, translate. What I heard before about the thick ice, uh, the, you see, the, to, to actually um, take a chance on me, that's a very big thing. That, that's not flaky. That's a major position because most of us are incredibly fearful. I mean, why is that song so unusual and why is it such a song for the 2014, although I think it came out like in 1978? Why is it such a great song? Because nobody really has any faith at all. Everybody's incredibly scared. I mean, I could give the usual thing about helicopter moms that we're talking about her parents, and everybody's, you know, um, there was somebody where I was working in Chevy Chase who said, you know, I don't, is it, 
are my little children, she had lovely little children, are they really at risk of, of child molesters and being picked up in cars and, and being killed on the street by bad people uh, any more than I was when I 25 years ago when I was growing up wherever I was growing up and I got free reign all over the street? So should I – is it really worse for my kids? So I shall, should I keep absolute tight reign on them? Well, this she said, yes. <laughs> in other words, she said, I don't know if it really is, but I'm going to do it anyway. It was fascinating. She said, I don't know if it's really worse out there, the thick ice or the thin ice, but I'm going to keep an incredible rain on them anyway. And I said, well, you know, that's ridiculous. I mean, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because somebody told you to do it? Why not give them a little freedom? I live some of the year, um, I've spent quite a bit of time in the suburbs of Connecticut and in one very um, pretty, pretty, I guess it's known for its um, very, very... Um, well stitched together, controlling and successful. And what is the word people always use now? Accomplished parents. You ought to see these little children when they're taken around the streets of this suburb in Connecticut outside of New York City. I mean, we're talking about three-year-olds, and three-year-olds have to be watched, and they can't cross the street on their own. And of course, they have to be carefully. Look, I've had them. I've raised three three-year-olds, and I have grandchildren. I totally understand. But they now all have harnesses. They look like English three-year-olds in you know forty years ago. I mean, they literally all have harnesses on them connected to the other. And of course, the great problem is if if any of them really needed to get away, if there really were a problem, and and you know one of the children needed to get away from a problem that was facing them, there's no way because they're they're literally in a kind of cage, a walking cage that that as they walk down a very tree lined, extremely safe. I mean, it's so safe as to be absurd. It's safer than any place we've ever lived before, you know. And I thought to myself, my golly, you know. And someone was saying today on Mockingbird, they said that the reason. Um, Cell phones are so huge among young people, and, and texting is so huge is because it's the only place where they can be themselves. I mean, they're so hedged in. No one can be young. I mean, that really is true, by the way. That's not a rant. That's just true. You can't be a kid anymore. You can't be – even in college, you can barely – you can't get drunk. You can't experiment with girls and you can't experiment with boys because you'll be sued or you'll be hauled into a disciplinary court. You you can't – in other words, if you're, if you're wise, you won't do anything. But you're only 16 for crying out loud or 20, 20. You're only 19 and you can't do anything. Well, at least you can do something maybe on your on your texting or something. You can do something there because your, your options are so limited. But you're young. So anyway, um, if there was ever a message that I would want to give to people today, and I believe it myself, take a chance on me. Now let me say a couple more things things about that. Um, as you'll see in the video and as you've heard in the song, um, it's either or. It's, uh, it's either or. Um, you either take a chance on her or you don't. You don't sort of take a partial chance. Somebody I loved once gave a person a questionnaire, and at the end of the questionnaire, he wanted to marry her. And at the end of the questionnaire in a fast food restaurant, the last question was, well, on the basis of all this, how will you answer theoretically if I were to say, would you marry me? <laughs> I mean, how would you answer theoretically? You know, so in other words, I, I, won't ask, I won't be disappointed if you ask me the question. Someone I care for was recently elected to a position in a parish. But, you know, elected to a rectorship of a parish. And I said, what was the process like? And he said, oh, it was hell. He said, they wanted to negotiate the contract before they called me. And this happens to be universal, by the way, in search processes now in the church. Um, they, wanted to, they wanted to know all my specific requirements before they actually issued the call. In other words, they wanted to issue a call. They didn't want to issue the call and then say, what can we do for you? They wanted to know what might would be involved if they did issue the call. Well, it's sort of like a prenup. I guess, isn't that a little bit like a prenup? Not good. <laughs> Not good will create divorce, creates grounds for divorce. Take a chance on me. You know, I'm waiting here. 
do a belly flop in my direction. I mean, do a spread eagle dive, dive in my direction, and, and you might catch me. And if you catch me, if you catched me, then it'll be really great. It'll be the best thing you ever did in your whole life, and everything else will follow from that. Everything else will follow from that. Well, that's what I'm uh, trying to say. It's either or. Uh, we learn as much about faith from Abba in Take a Chance on Me as we could learn anywhere else. And let me give you perhaps maybe in the encounter of Christ with Simon Peter. I mean, did he take a chance on me? No. He he started and then he lost his knife. Well, it's one-on-one. It's spread eagle. It's either or. And it's go. All right, people, go. Don't, don't qualify. You know, if you want me as your rector, call me. And then there'll be a relationship. All have said yes, and y'all have said yes, and we can decide what the next steps might be. But please, don't hedge your bets all the time. And everybody's hedging their bets. So if you want to learn faith, if you want to learn about what it is, listen to Abba. Take a chance on me. And if you um, are worried or concerned about the uh, if the media is right, and it, I think it's the case in many places, the decline of sort of normal, good, conventional church life in the U.S. of A., Let's go. Let's go to that. Uh, isn't there a wonderful Insight Meditation Center in Barry, Mass? Or maybe there's one out in Marin County. Let's see if we can buy, uh, you know, a, a, a week. Uh, probably not. They'll probably say no. But let's invite them. Maybe they're having a slow season, or maybe they're doing some construction, which will interrupt the mindfulness of the group for a week. Maybe we can buy them out just for a week, and we can go, and we can spend the entire time in the upper meditation hall doing some walking meditations and listening to the music. Music of Abba. If you change your mind, take a chance on the first in line. Take a chance on me, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. If you got your place to go, when you're feeling down. If you're all up.